gather round people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are a-changing Some writers and critics who prophesize with your pen And keep your eyes wide, the chance won't come again And don't speak too soon for the wheel's still in spin And there's no telling who that it's naming Was the loser now will be later to win For the times they are a-changing From senators, congressmen, please heed the call Don't stand in the doorway, don't lock up the hall For he that gets hurt will be he who has stalled The battle outside raging Will soon shake your windows and rattle your walls For the times they are a-changing Mothers and fathers throughout the land And don't criticize what you can't understand Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command Your old road is rapidly aging Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand For the times they are a-changing The curse it is cast The slow one now Will later be fast As the present now Will later be past The order is rapidly fading And the first one now Will later be last For the times They are a-changing March 2nd, 2021. Texas is celebrating their independence this week. Um, very Texas thing to do. If you want to remember that you're in Texas, just wait around five minutes because someone from Texas will tell you. It's also Dr. Seuss's birthday. Hey, I still got it. Something playing in the background. Dr. Seuss's birthday. Oh, I still got a commercial playing in the background. That's why I got it going in the background. Um, and really, Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham is probably a... It's a center pin... Uh, yeah, today's all about change. 
I don't know if you guessed it from listening to Dylan, but my dear class, dear crew, uh, today we're going to talk about change. Um, and then we'll get to the uh, rest of the lesson. But to quote Dr. Seuss, I will not eat them in a house. I will not eat them with a mouse. I will not eat them in a box. I will not eat them with a fox. I will not eat green. I will not eat them here or there. I will not eat them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am probably Dr. Seuss's most famous book. And, you know, largely we all grew up with this, thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, trying new food. Food that looks gross. Vegetables. Ugh. I'm not going to eat that. No. I will not eat them there. I will not eat them anywhere. But really, the good doctor was educating us about change and the fear of change. Times keep on. It's, this is March, so this time last year is really, really when the uh, the pandemic started kicking off for everyone, and that's when everything changed. And regardless of political persuasion or whatever you think about anything, one thing that is for certain is we all got a good look at how the people around of us, the people around us deal with change and then we got a good look at how we as human beings and ourselves deal with change because it all literally it happened as far as school I was teaching this this very class in in person and got an email it was a night class. Got an email from the university saying, "Look, it tonight is the last night for classes. We are moving to virtual learning as of tomorrow." Literally, like you know, forty-five minutes advanced warning. And I remember just talking to my class, and I remember you know I had students who were athletes who weren't going to get to finish their last semester of playing games had students who were seniors who realized that their last semester of college was was effectively over there wouldn't be any any of the celebratory things that people you know grow up thinking is going to be their last semester and so change has come change continues to come and sometimes it's for good sometimes it's better sometimes it's those things that come around that were that kind of scare us but at the end um i don't know sometimes it turns out better than we think it's going to and sometimes it doesn't and it's part of who we are as human beings is how we we deal with that change um this weekend some change happened 
not not so much for me. Um, more kind of my as the hemisphere is uh, one of my journalism professors died. Um, he was a unique individual because he's local, and, and, and so if you're from the River Valley and you, uh, there's a very good chance you knew Van Tyson and the Atkins Chronicle. Um, I knew him as Dr. Tyson back in the day. Uh, back when I was first going to college, he was the guy that first taught me how to write a news story. He was the guy who taught us how to use an economy of words. He was the guy who told us about the time he interviewed Muhammad Ali when he worked for the Arkansas Democrat. Or was it the Gazette? I don't remember. It was back when it was two different papers. He told us about, you know, times that, you know, as a as a old school newspaper man he told us about his history of growing up at the Atkins Chronicle where his um was a family paper and he literally grew up with ink in his fingers and ink in his blood and he was also the father-in-law of one of my best friends who died unexpectedly uh back in 2013 and so today, it's there's just a little bit of, for me, because I got to ask, um, you know, I, I learned about this yesterday, uh, but I learned, uh, well, I got a call from the, or I got a message from the local newspaper wanting me to make a statement on it, because one of the things as a professor, he retired the year before I started teaching, so I didn't fill his slot but I think I have the same office telephone number that he had. And so there became this deal where I kind of felt like I was trying to fill his shoes. That I, they absolutely, there were different shoes. They weren't, it wasn't my job to fill those shoes. It was my job, you know, to bring something that I can bring. Um, but now we're back in the season of change. Uh, once again. We're close to the, you know, meteorological beginning of spring. Uh, even though we had ice and snow covering the world, at least in our in Arkansas, you're starting to get jonicles or daffodils coming up, yellow. They may get buried in snow, but they're trying. You're starting to see the beginnings of a new uh, day. You've got vaccine rollout still going on. You've got states trying to decide, you know, should we get rid of these things? Should we, you know, or the all the mandates and the masks and just move on, learn to live with this, whatever this is. And then we have within the world of communication and journalism, it's you know, this thing never stops changing. It never stops changing, and we ne- we never need to stop asking ourselves, where is it? that we fit in and how do we fit in what's the story that we're supposed to tell there was a, there was a Walt Whitman quote I quoted a lot I'm just going and I used to start out the uh, my semester getting my students to read this called on me oh life hang on let me find it so i don't screw it up um mm-hmm. 
Tackle Me Alive. I used to get the students to read this at the beginning of every semester. Oh me, oh life. Of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself. For who more foolish than I, and who more faithless? Of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined. The question, oh me, so sad, recurring. What good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, it's you are here, that life exists, and identity. That the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. And the question that I would always follow that with, and I pretty much ripped this straight off Dead Poet Society, so I'm not even going to pretend I didn't. Um, what's your verse going to be? One of the things that I, I teach my students is the same elements that make a good story are also the same elements that make a good life. My professor, Dr. Van Tyson, lived a good life. He raised beautiful children that loved him. He had a loving wife. He had a job that he loved. He had a newspaper that he owned and absolutely loved. He loved journalism. He loved the community that he lived in. He was a never-ending uh, font of or fount of um, knowledge and history. And so again, let me read this. O me, O life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for who more foolish than I, and who more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the tr struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding, the sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined. The question, O oh me, so sad, recurring, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, it's you are here, that life exists, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What's the powerful play? It's life itself. It's it's the, the world in which you live in. It's the sound of my water pump going off, making strange noises. It's it's all of it. And one of the things that becomes it's it seems cruel at times is that you can sit in the funeral memorial service of someone that you know or cared about and you can hear the traffic going on outside. 
because the powerful play goes on. And Whitman says you may contribute a verse. I would amend that to say you will contribute a verse. The question, though, is what's it going to be? What's your verse going to be? What's the story that you tell going to be? What's your life going to look like? What kind of stories are you going to be able to tell your kids or your grandkids or just some neighbor kid? Is it going to be stories that you did something or is it going to be all those blank years wasted on Netflix and video games? That you're here. That life exists. The powerful play goes on. And you, my friends... You will contribute a verse. Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Can you not? We don't listen to you. We This nation will rise up. Live out the true meaning of its creed. Words are things. We hold these truths to be, be self-evident. That all calling people out of their names. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Why, Johnny Ringo, you look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. You don't tell your pappy how to cut the electorate. We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communication. Oh, yeah. Are you not That's a powerful new Are you not doing it? Is that why you are here? And welcome back to the Pirate Professor Podcast. This is your captain speaking. Now we're actually getting to the nuts and bolts of tonight's lesson, or today's lesson. Whatever time, you're, What time of the day are you listening to this? I don't guess it matters. Maybe you're doing it while you're driving down the street. Maybe you're laying in bed. Maybe you're not listening to it at all, and you're wondering why you're not learning. Oh, that was very ominous. Anyway, um, today we're going to pick up on chapter and se chapter seven, digital imperatives. And you know, I've been saying all semester so far because we just got through midterms. Like I promise, we're going to get to the stuff that's interesting. We're finally to the stuff that's interesting because now we're finally kind of to the nuts and bolts of it, um, of the world of social media. Now, again, one of the things I've told you repeatedly over the course of the semester 
is that you just can't quite be sitting around going, I just want to be an influencer. I want to be popular. I look good on the camera. I've, I'm funny. It just doesn't necessarily always work that way. Sometimes it does work that way. I mean, there's definitely, let's just be real. There's definitely a bias on a lot of media, social and mainstream, for people who look better than others by our normal society standards. I'm not saying, you know, an ugly boy won't be able to make it, but probably he's going to have to try a little harder or have a particular thing that's going to catch him, uh, people's attention. You know, and some of you just may have, some of you may be great at, you know, something more like this, more like a podcast where people don't have to look at you because you just got some kind of thing. You've got some, you've got a knack for something and you can bring really good products to the table, but sometimes it's not necessarily enough because you've got to, it's, it's a business and the people who succeed treat this like a business, not as a hobby. And they really work on the all the other things that we've been talking about as far as they work on the research side of it. They work on the scheduling side of it. They work on creating their own digital ecosystem. And it, it takes a lot of work. You know, and then sometimes, you know, a fluke happens. And these are the ones that you always just sort of hear about is somebody who just... You know, they got mad one day and they got on YouTube and they said, you know, they uploaded something and somehow it just kind of clicked. Um, and it got weird uh, for them real hard and fast. Um, I think I've talked a little bit uh, about my YouTube experience. I've got, a, like, I'll put something out on YouTube now and, you know, I'll maybe get a few hundred people that watch it. No big deal. Um, and it's pretty normal. It's like, it's like, that's, you know, whatever I'm putting out there, most, you know, people don't, it's, it's not going viral. I get that. Um, but there was a time that I did. And so I got to live in this short lived world of sort of YouTube famous. It's funny to think about because it's so silly in retrospect, but I had this, um, I had a website and I would do this YouTube series and it's just called, it was cabin people. Cause I was building my log cabin at the time. I was just YouTubing about it and, you know, and I would do kind of like I did at the beginning of these things. I would just kind of give you, I would sort of wax philosophical and make a video and throw it online. Well, uh, long story short is I was using a sawmill. It was this, it's a portable sawmill, band sawmill by a company called Woodmiser. And I just shot them an email when I was making one of these videos because I was, you know, featuring their product and I thought well maybe that'd be maybe because I was kind of honestly I was sort of naive I wasn't really thinking about it at all and I was like hey because honestly it was kind of um I wasn't thinking about it at all and I was also it's kind of now it seems kind of silly and sort of blunt just to approach a company that big like that and but I was just like hey here's the marketing team hey I'm going to do this YouTube video I'm going to feature your product thought you might like to know about it whatever you know and it's just kind of and that's kind of cool. And, uh, you know, and I think I'm, I don't know if I threw in anything about sponsorships or whatever. I don't, I, I honestly don't remember that much. Uploaded. We had a deal where we we're kind of snowed in like, uh, we are, we were a couple weeks ago and I just made a, I made this video. Um, it's like 
called freedom. It was just freedom. It was sort of kind of basically this, you're tired of life, world's not, because we were right after the uh, 2007, 2008 financial collapse. And I just sort of told my story about it, and this is what I did, and now I'm building a log cabin because I'm just sort of insulating myself from, you know, the weirdness of the world. And I sent it to the company, or I sent them a link to the YouTube, and I just sort of forgot about it because it was like everything else. I'd done YouTube videos before. Nothing ever clicked. I didn't really expect that to click. Well, lo and behold, I had a... Uh, that's two or three weeks later, phone rings, some, some number from Iowa. And it was, you know, people weren't getting all the random, you know, kind of scam calls that we get today where, you know, you just get some sort of random call from some random number, but it's somebody else entirely. So whatever reason I picked it up and it was this guy asking for me and he was from Iowa. And he was just, and I was like, hey, what's going on? He's like, oh, and I, because I, my contact number was on my YouTube account, you know, it wasn't hard to look up because I wasn't trying to hide anything. Uh, I didn't really, you know, whatever. And he was just like, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate what you're doing. And, and then he goes on to tell me how he did what I said and he quit his job, his white collar job. And he got a job working in construction, so that learning to frame houses, so he too can build his log cabin, his cabin out in the woods. And I was like, "What the hell?" Because I, you don't expect to get random phone calls from strangers telling them how they changed their life and how they just made this huge life choice based on advice that you didn't realize you were giving them. And he just told me, yeah, I saw your video on YouTube. Oh, well, that's cool. And, you know, and then I talked to him and just sort of, we went on, a, you know, things went on, never heard from the guy again. Hope it worked out. Um, And so I went to, logged into my YouTube and I looked at that video. Expecting to see, you know, a few dozen views. There was over 20,000 views. And I'm like, holy shit, what happened? And then I realized that that, because I'm tracking the analytics, where are these coming from? And I realized that the sawmill company, who had a fairly active Facebook page at the time, just shared my video. And it went viral as a result of them sharing that video. And I was getting, and then I did, you know, two or three other videos on top of that. And they just kept going and going and going. And it was like, I was getting like a thousand views a day. Um, I think I hear my computer winding up. Maybe. Anyway. Yep. That's my computer winding up. Anyway. So it was just going in. So I think time was all said and done. I had like well over a million views. Uh, the sawmill company became like a sponsor for me. So I didn't have to buy, buy parts or sawmill blades anymore. They were just, I'd ask for it and they'd mail me hundreds of dollars worth of parts. And I had phone calls from reality TV show producers. Cause they're thinking about starting and they, you know, and so they're looking, those guys were looking for people who already had established audiences 
and I had, I think, I think in YouTube world now, it's not that much. I think eight thousand, still have like eight thousand YouTube followers. And, uh, but you know, I was getting all of this traction, all these views, and it was just people were calling me, emailing me, messaging me constantly. I did actually get on the Discovery Channel uh, because they used a clip, you know, a couple of clips from one of my videos. And it just got absolutely insane for a while. And I wasn't expecting it. And, and honestly, I kind of shut down because I got really busy. Um, but I was making like real money uh, with that from like Google. And, you know, Google was paying me money because of the ads because I was monetized and I had sponsorships coming in. And I had all of these things going on. Um, and it just sort of happened because it was my, my digital ecosystem just happened to be ready for the thing that was coming around that I wasn't expecting. Uh, and so, you know, I rode that, that way for a couple of years, I guess. And, you know, it wasn't as big as like, you know, you see the big YouTubers now cause it's an industry at this point. But at that point it was fairly new and I was doing something that the Google gods or the, you know, YouTube, same thing, analytics, their, their, um, algorithms wanted to push I was doing something that was kind of popular in that time frame uh, and so they were constantly uh, pushing stuff that's where, that's where I, I think I told you guys I may, I may have told you these stories already because I'm old and I'm forgetting um, but like there was the Axiom company in you know they're based out of Conway but they used to have a big building in uh, Little Rock and I used to just uh, look up there. I would always call them the khaki pant people because you can see, you could see this big glass wall of all these people like wearing, you know, button up shirts and khaki pants. And I would just, I would go there with my friend Jason and we were both working in Little Rock and I would just scream up at the building, hello, khaki pant people. And then it turns out I found out that there's a lot of people in that building who were fans of my YouTube channel. And it all got just really strange. So, what's the, what do these stories have to say about anything? Um, one change can happen before you know it. It can be good, it can be bad. Um, but you got to learn how to ride those waves. So, and, you, and it helps if you're prepared for those waves. So let's talk about today, that's what we're talking about. Uh, a little bit as far as, when I talk about your digital ecosystem... Uh, your communication ecosystem, whether it's for your business or you personally as an influencer, whatever it happens to be, there are some things that you need to know. These are this is basic information, and the first thing we're going to talk about is search engine search engine optimization. SEO is the keyword. SEO just basically is you're writing in a particular style, and you're doing certain things to your the back end of your website to announce to the web crawlers out there that are the search engines that are trying to figure out exactly what your site is about and if you're relevant enough for them to um, post, you know, or share. And if you go to the Blackboard page for this class, there is an SEO uh, guide PDF guidebook that you can, if you want to learn more about SEO, it could be an entire class into itself. But if you want to learn more about SEO, uh, you can use a comment. You can read that up, um, but it's broken down to a few things. One of them is keyword optimization. Keyword optimization is simply you're choosing your words very deliberately within your websites. That's alerting the search engines, and that's what we we're just talking about. And this can be done within the tech site of your uh, website, 
for the text of your website and also with the back the back end is where we would call it we call stuff metadata so if you had a website you know um well you do have websites or you know you have you have things going on with your your social media campaigns so like in the back end you can make sure like if they're local if they're on campus you can make sure that you're putting keywords in like arkansas russellville arkansas tech arkansas tech university journalism journalism students class of 2021 or whatever whatever it happens to be whatever terms are specifically relevant to the thing that you're talking about these are the keywords um you're also with your digital strategy um your web ecosystem works together by combining your website your social media sites your mobile apps your search engine marketing sem and email and communication marketing all of these things can be going on simultaneously and effective strategies use them all simultaneously one of the biggest things that are going on for the world of writers is it's getting harder and harder and harder to publish things so more and more writers are and you know and academic types are, are really moving more toward kind of an, a self-publishing model online where they they are still engaging with what we would call you know traditional publishers but they're also building up their own audience and if you ever want to be a get something published one of the biggest helps that you can have is walk into a publisher with something written and already say yeah i've already got you know an established audience because they think that's going to increase well i don't think they know it's going to increase the likelihood that you're going to sell more books or more whatever and so it's going to help them so you're using a strategy remember you're thinking about this as a business owner and you're trying to build your business so if you're thinking about in terms of followers you need to be thinking about in terms of customers you're trying to build your customer base and you're doing that through this entire ecosystem organic ranking this is where we're talking about is if a web engine search engine thinks you're relevant enough how many different places are linking to you how many different views do you get remember because we're talking about like google analytics is built in so they're tracking all of this stuff you know and so if you've got one website that gets 10,000 hits every month and you've got another website that gives gets 50 hits every month they're going to give preference to the website that gets more hits because the hits in their minds or in their you know artificial intelligent minds is saying that this is probably going to be more relevant information because more people are already going to it um how new you know there's other things how new the information is if you haven't made a post in a year your website's going to get a little stale as far as because they realize oh there's nothing new here um, how many link, how many links, how many keywords are in there? Uh, all of these other things that could be going, um, it's going to try to push you to the top of the list because what everyone's goal is, is to be on like the front page of Google, like in the first few re results, you know, if you're on the second page, that's sort of death. You want to be on the first page with the top, you know, top two or three after the ads. You know, and that can change. Uh, if you're local, it's going to change if you're, versus if you're national. So if you're, if you've got something that has a national appeal and following, um, it's going to be much harder unless you're doing a local search, and then they're going to go, oh, it's local, so it's probably more relevant to you. There's also paid searches. Uh, this is basically where you're paying the web. These are where you see the ads at the beginning of Google uh, search results because people are paying them to put 
uh, their stuff at the top. So you're artificially elevating yourself within the system. That's expensive, and but it's also broken down into two different ways to char they charge for that. You get clicks and you get impressions. Clicks is if someone actually physically clicks on the hyperlink. Um, these are more expensive, but they are also really easy to define the return on investment. The impression is simply it shows up on the page when someone's on it. You have no idea if they looked at it, they clicked on it, how much time they spent. All you know is that your ad was on the page while they were looking at that page. And if it's a tiny ad in the corner, you don't know if it really worked or you don't know. So, but you can get, you know, you can buy thousands of impressions for the cost of one click usually. But you know, if they clicked it, they clicked it. Um, the higher volume of traffic a site gets will boost its relevance for search engines. So I was talking about a little bit ago. So if you get 10,000 hits a month versus 50, the site that gets 10,000 is going to get more. Um, you also have other things they are called black hat tactics. These are basically people trying to game the system. So like one of the thing, old ways was the number of hyperlinks to your website that exist out there, you know, is going to boost the relevance. So one of the things the old tricks somebody would try to do is they would they would basically just put a bunch of so you had something with a white background. They would basically embed they might have a page out there that nobody ever really goes to, but it has a white background and then they would put white text on it so it doesn't show up. And then they would cover that page and nothing but hyperlink after hyperlink after hyperlink after hyperlink. So they're just sort of artificially faking the hyperlink game. Um which is all well and good until you get caught. And if you get caught, which most people do at this point, is, um, you know, Google will just penalize you and throw you to the bottom where nobody will ever see you again. The preferred method is what we just simply call white hat techniques. These are the preferred method of creating strong content. You're writing good content. You're creating good search engine optimization. You're organically building your website traffic, you know, because that's like with your social media stuff, you're always trying to push somebody to do something. You're actually, you know, you're trying to get them to click that button. You're trying to get that click through up. You're trying to, you know, so what they call like a call to engagement or a call to action button. You're trying to get them to click buy now, shop now, trying to get them there. These are what we would call white hat tactics. Um, a website is, is a tool. This is one of the things when I was building them for clients, they would get a, they would get a pretty new website and it was so much nicer than their old one. And they would just sit back and they're like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. We're going to do so well now. And then they call me like a month later and they're like, we're not getting any, we're not getting more traffic. I'm like, what are you doing with your website? Nothing. Well, that's why you're not getting any more traffic because you know, you're not, you're not posting anything. They weren't posting anything on social media. You know, they may make a post a month. They weren't updating their website at all. They weren't, doing, they weren't giving people a reason to go there. It's like reading the same magazine over and over again. You're just not, there's, a, there's a point you're just going to stop picking it up. Right? So a website is a tool, not a magic wand. So to get results, it needs to be designed to meet the organization's needs, the customer's needs, to use correctly and often. Like I said, otherwise it gets stale and traffic will slack off and people will just go somewhere else. So a good site needs a few things. First and foremost, it needs to be what we'd call clean and professional, not too busy. 
uh, just from a design standpoint, what I would call intuitive design, or I didn't call it, I didn't coin that name. It's just, it needs to be obvious what you're supposed to do. It's not too cluttered. It's, it's design, you know, form follows function if we're talking about architecture. And it also needs some tools and needs the ability to analyze the metrics. These are what I keep talking about. You need a way to track your progress, whether it's the website. Like I get an email every month and I can log on anytime I want from Google Analytics telling them exactly how many people went to my website. I can know what, what devices they used, what pages they went to, how long they were there, what country they're, what zip code they were from. Break down male to female, whatever I need, I can, I can dial in and find out exactly who's coming to my site and what they're doing and how long they're staying there. And that help that information helps me establish clear goals. Like, what am I trying to do? Like I, I said, a website's a tool, you know, call it a digital storefront. What are you trying to do with it? Like what, what's, what's the point of the thing? It's like, I have a website. Yeah. It's got what plants crave, but what is it? What plants crave, but I got a website, but what's it do? It's got what plants crave. Sorry. That was an idiocracy quote. If you didn't a reference, if you didn't pick up on that, watch that movie, definitely watch that movie. Um, just not around children. So you got to have clear goals. You got to know what you're doing. You got to know why you're doing it. Um, you have to understand not just what you want people to do. This is one of one of the places that people mess up a lot is asking the question, not just what you use the want people to use the site, but what do they actually use the site for? Are they using it in the way that you think they are? And if they're not, is it something that you need to adapt what you're doing to meet what all they're already doing? Or do you need to try to push them in a different direction? You also need search engine optimization. We've already talked about it. You need calls to action. That's what I was talking about earlier. The little button, click here to purchase, click this shop now, whatever it is. I need something obvious to make them want to buy the thing. And you need an ongoing content strategy. You need to know like what you're going to be doing. Like you shouldn't just be sitting down at your computer on Monday and going, I don't know what I'm going to post today, but I'll just figure it out. That's, that's not, I almost said that's, oh, let's say. That's, that's poor strategy. That's not strategy. That's just random and haphazardness and it doesn't work. You need to be going like, all right, this quarter we're going to be doing these things. And this is our goal because we're going, it's fourth quarter. We're leading up to Christmas. We want to be, you know, things are happening, blah, blah, blah. But see, you don't need to be coming up with that strategy at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Like, cause you know, everything's going to be really busy. So all this stuff, this is what we're talking about. This is why we're having you, I'm doing, having you do all your social media plans you know, in advance is because you need to be thinking like, all right, what are we going to be doing in December? And then the other thing is like after December, when we get into January and like sort of these weird cold days after new year's, we're like, you know, January, February, where nobody wants to like January, especially it's like, all right, holidays are over. Let's now we just want spring and still you have to get through winter now, but there's not any good holidays in January and you have to, you know, then Valentine's day, Maybe that works unless there's a pandemic, whatever, whatever the thing is, you need to be planning these things months and weeks in advance. Also responsive design. Uh, one of the clients I had again, going back to the analytics, and this is, this has been a while. Most any site you have built today is going to kind of automatically have responsive design and responsive design simply says, depending on the device that you're using, 
to to view it is de- going to de- is going to change how that thing's going to display. So if you're looking at a website on a iPhone, an iPhone versus a desktop computer or a laptop, it's going to change the way it looks some. Um, and that's all responsive design. So if it's just one website, same content, but it it redefines its its look based on the the device. And that's useful because you can have a completely different design on a desktop or, you know, laptop, a normal computer screen because you have so much more real estate to work with. But then you try to view it that when we've all done it, you try to view that same site on a phone and it's, you know, everything's tiny and it's jumbled together and it's hard to read. And so we don't want that. We don't want that at all. And so you make sure it changes in a particular client I had he was sort of hesitant to change. And then I was able to pull up his Google analytics and showed them that over 50% of his clientele was coming to his website through their phones. And so we were able to well, build him a new site. It was responsive design. And lo and behold, his traffic jumped way up because suddenly it was easier and better to be on that site. Now we also have something called adaptive design. And adaptive design, think more, you see more of this like in the world of social media or even Google. Depending on how you use the site is going to change the way the site functions for you. This is where algorithms come into play. You can do a Google search for something, some kind of random term. But because of the profile that either, you know, one of the big data companies, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Google, whichever ones, your search returns are going to vary based on who you are. So you can search for the exact same term I am, but depending on who you are and where you happen to be, depends on what the search results are going to be. Some are going to be similar, but some of them they're going to adapt because they're going to try to make that thing the more, more relevant to you. You also have email marketing. People have a love-hate relationship with email marketing. I get a ton of emails constantly that I may or may not have subscribed to. And I unsubscribe to a lot of them because, you know, my inbox just gets overloaded and it's just so much. There's only so much I want to consume. And, but, um, it's, you know, people do kind of like it because unlike, you know, you get something that shows up in the social media feed, and that may be the only time you saw it that day. If it's sitting in your inbox, then you can always go back to it. It's there. You can say, like, oh, yeah, I got that email yesterday for those sales ads. And, you know, sometimes things like that. And that's usually the kind of thing I get is, you know, a store that I go to or frequent, whatever, you know, they'll send me coupons or whatever the sale of the, you know, is of the week or the month or the day, whatever. And so they use email to do that. But again, these same companies are also doing things like, you know, remarketing. So, or Target, where I, you know, I search for something, I go to their website, and then the next thing I know, I'm seeing their ads pop up on all in all sorts of places. Um, you know, they're hitting me on social media. They're doing lots of stuff. Their digital ecosystem is large, and it's targeting me. Um, you know, but just remember quality over con- you know over content it's quality content over the amount of content right you got you just got to make sure you're putting good stuff out there and not just junking people's inboxes up and that's the chapter 
That's the chapter. So, seems to be doing pretty well. Good deal. Alright, so next week I will be really doing this from back at the cabin. And then we'll see how that goes from there. Because I'll be back in town for a little bit. And what else? Anything else? Anything? I don't know. If uh, you have any questions, don't ever hesitate to contact me. Whoever you are, dear students. Um, never mind hearing from students. If you've got like thoughts, questions, comments, complaints, clever anecdotes, interpretive dance, salacious thoughts, salacious haikus, pernicious paragraphs, diabolical diatribes, whatever it is you have to say, chances are I'm willing to listen. How much time I got? Doesn't really matter because I'm about to... Oh, we're getting out a little bit early today. All right. Change is always happening. Change is happening with me. Change is happening with you. I guess one final story on change is that in this profession, one of the things that you really, really need to get used to is change itself and adapting and learning and never stop learning. It is so easy to get stale in this world. When I first graduated college in the late 90s, it was 96, back in those days, and I was a broadcast major. And back in those days, everything we recorded, whether it was on for video or audio, it was all on tape. It was all like VCR tapes and different, you know, different versions of these things. Editing was all done on tape. So if you had, you know, you may have a stack of a dozen tapes that you would be using to create one package story or whatever it has. And it all, you had VCRs, you had a control deck that was in, sat in the middle of the desk that you used to control, you know, the record decks, the play, and then you had like, you know, more than one play deck. So you're always shuffling all this stuff. And it was a lot to learn, but you know, once, once I mastered it, I got really good at it. I got really fast at it. And then, you know, my first job out of college was working for the NBC affiliate in Little Rock, uh, KRK, as an editor. And, you know, I got really fast at editing. I can still hold my fingers at the exact position that I needed to hold to hit the control, like the input button and output button, you know, and all of these things. It was a completely different world back then. And then, like, no joke, within a year of me graduating, everything went to computers. Everything went digital. And all the entire way that I learned to edit all the technology had been rendered completely obsolete. And so I had to, I had to go back and reinvent myself. Um, you know, still trying to work video, but I had just new technology. I had, I had to change the way I did things in order to do what I used to do. And I think that was probably a good lesson to learn early on. Um, I think... I think one of the most valuable things that I can teach you is uh, bet on change because it's coming. It's always going to come. I'll catch you next week, everybody.
But I know change gonna come. 